0: Good morning, sisters. Going to risk creeping you out, calling you sisters. If you were here last week, you know what I'm talking about. Okay, so if you read Eric Metaxas' book, Seven Women, you're going to be captivated by um, the portraits of some fascinating women who changed the course of history by following God's call in their lives. What you will find is seven women who, although some of their beliefs may differ from yours and mine a bit their life stories um, leave no doubt that their impact on history can only be explained by their first being impacted by the good news of jesus christ um, there's one particular moment in the life of mother teresa that really gripped me and continues to grip me and i'd like to read this to you and i do this thinking okay the children might go by so last week the kids were going by and they saw cinderella and they said they're watching Cinderella in Big Church! And now they're going to go by and say they're having story time in Big Church! But I don't want to try to paraphrase in my own words because he writes it so beautifully. He says eventually Mother Teresa asked Calcutta city authorities for a building for the sick and dying. The city was well aware of the extraordinary work she was doing and they gave her a hostel. The building was next door to a temple devoted to Kali, the fearsome and many-armed Hindu goddess of death. Pilgrims to the temple had once stayed in the building, but now it was abandoned and filthy. A delighted Mother Teresa, aided by her helpers, cleaned the place up and renamed it Nimral Hidre, a Bengali term for place of immaculate heart. There the sisters would take in the sick and the dying, wash them of their vomit and filth that often covered them, treat their wounds, feed them, and allow them a clean place to die while feeling loved and wanted and in the presence of a gentle smiling face. At death, each person was, was cared for. Not surprisingly, some of the more radical Hindus were not pleased that Christian nuns were working on the premises of a Hindu goddess. And perhaps even proselytizing Hindus. So when Mother Teresa took over the building, violent protests followed. One day, Hindu leader gathered a mob of young people armed with stones to help him drive out Mother Teresa and her helpers. When she heard the hubbub outside, she came out the front door and courageously and calmly approached the mob. She soon learned who was leading this angry crowd and addressed him directly, inviting the Hindu leader to come inside and see for himself what the sisters were doing. When he came out a short time later, the mob, still waiting for his instructions, asked him if they could begin what they had come to do, drive the nuns out by force. Yes, you can, the man replied, but only when your sisters and your mothers do what those sisters are doing in there. This is just a part of Mother Teresa's story that leaves us with little doubt. The good news of Jesus Christ leads to news that is good. And this is the kind of good news that Paul is talking about in Thessalonians and how Thessalonians begins. The kind of news that only the good news of Jesus can account for. In 1 Thessalonians 1 we find the recapping of what happened to Thessalonica when the good news of Jesus came. The good news of God's promise to restore paradise lost when sin entered the world by the sending of his son. Here we find what it means to be a Christian. Here we find what it means to come to faith in Christ. Here we find confidence to know that we are Christians. That we might be clear what it means when the gospel, the good news, comes to you and me. Let's listen to the news concerning these Thessalonians to whom the good news had come. Father, I pray that as we open your holy word... That we would recognize it for what it is, your very words to us today. I pray for those who have yet to have responded to the good news of Jesus who are among us today. That you would grant faith. That news, the good news would lead to news that is good this very day. For the rest of us, Father, um, deepen that reality that we might serve you, the living God. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand to read God's word? Paul, Sylvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, Thank you, God, for your word. So, what does it mean to be a Christian? From this first chapter of Thessalonians, what do we find that evidences the good news has come? We find miraculous faith, we find muscular love, and we find mighty hope. So, first, we find the miracle of faith that happens when the good news comes. This whole first section begins with Paul thanking God for Thessalonians' work of faith. Why is he thanking God? Because it began with God. Paul knows their faith is a supernatural work of God. It was not his strenuous work, his ingenuity, his creativity. It was not the wisdom and the discernment and the, and the expertise of the Thessalonians. Not their hard work. It was a work of God. Ladies, if you and I come to God, it is because he has already come to us. God's coming to us, the good news is, is not based on our loveliness. He's not waiting for you to get your act together. He's not waiting for you to pretty it up. He comes to you based on his love, not your loveliness. Listen to how it is put in Timothy and Ephesians. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless. His love comes to us, it declares us lovely and blameless, and then does does a work making us become lovely and blameless. I recently read an article about it from an adoptee's perspective as an adult. And one of the things that he wrote in the article, thinking through his life and being able to look back as an adult and to see the journey that God had him on, he makes this profound statement. He says, sometimes the best decisions in our life are made for us. That decision was made for him. He had no choice. But because that decision was made for him, he was raised in a family of faith and became a man of God. And he sees that. And that is true for each and every one of us that are born of God. The best decision of our life is the one that was made for us. God coming to us first. See, in the Greek world, just like our world, choosing was based on a person's goodness. The relationship between the people and their gods was not one of love. It was about appeasing. It was about pleading for favor without any assurances. The gods in in the Greek world as they are today, the little idols we serve, were fickle their influence could be positive and it could be very negative and they never knew what distinguished christianity from all other religions all of our philosophies in paul's day and today is being chosen not because we are good but because he is good romans five seven and eight for one will scarcely die for a righteous person though perhaps for even a good person one would dare even to die but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. May I hear an amen. The relationship between the living God and his people is love. It is not appeasing. It is not begging. It is not pleading. It is not, he is not a fickle God. It is a love that works together for our good. Again, we need not plead for favor without any assurance. God is not fickle. We need not brace ourselves and not know what's going to come next. God is always at work for our good. It is certain. He is all wise, he is all powerful, and he is all good. Romans 8:28 to 29, what better assurance do we need? 31 to 32, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Why? For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Here's the why. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? What is the certainty that God is about our good? He gave us his son! This good news leads to news that is good. Paul, Silas, and Timothy were certain. These Thessalonians were God's. Not because they could easily judge who's in and who's out, who responds to the gospel, but they could see who has. Not because they could judge it, but because they could see it. The way that Thessalonians were now living assured Paul they would live forever. The way they were living in the moment assured Paul they were going to live forever together. The good news of Jesus had come in word, in power, in the Holy Spirit, and full conviction. And for our sake, I think we need to take these apart quickly. Word. First, the gospel comes in words. It comes in words. There is no gospel without words. It is the good news, the message of God fulfilling his promise to restore paradise lost by sending, sacrificing, And raising his son for those who would repent and believe. We don't become a Christian hearing about faith, hope, and love, as beautiful as each one of those are. We only become a Christian when we have heard the words about Jesus Christ. You've heard it said, preach the gospel at all times, if necessary, use words. Sadly, St. Francis of Assisi was wrongly accused of saying that. He did not say that. But we have heard it said, this is impossible. It is impossible to preach the gospel without words. Preaching is words. The message of the gospel is words. You are never going to preach the gospel with your life alone. Paul knew it, and that's what he's telling them. And we'll see more about that next week. So first it came in word. Then it came in power, Paul says. As with Jesus, miracles were often present when the gospel was preached. You see this throughout the book of Acts. And again, you see it in Jesus' life. As Jesus was calling people out on their sin and presenting them the good news of his life, being willing to be sacrificed for that sin, you saw healings. You saw power. This was to evidence that he was of God. And this was to evidence that Paul and the early apostles were of God. But ladies, the word can be given and there can be power that will accompany it and still not produce salvation. We saw this with Jesus and the apostles too. How many times do we see in the gospel writings and in the book of Acts that people witnessed miracles, they heard the truth about Jesus, they witnessed miraculous power in the Holy Spirit, and they still did not turn. When we were in Central Asia, one of our first visits, there was one gal that we met with who shared her story with us, and she talked about going out into the streets and preaching in, in opposition, bringing persecution. She had been imprisoned for it. Preaching to people the good news of Jesus Christ and people being healed and not coming to faith. And she couldn't understand it. She would say to me, Patty, how is that possible? How can people hear about Jesus, see the power of Jesus, and still not repent of their sin? Well, people can hear. People can hear the gospel and it just be communication, even when there's power. We may be moved, we may even cry, we may even shudder, but so do the demons. A Christian is not someone who affirms the good news about Jesus. A Christian is one in whom there is a force, a power that is dealing with you, that is changing you. I'm an example of this in my own life and I'm sure you can see this in yours. I heard about Jesus all my life, but suddenly he troubled me when I was a late teenager. Suddenly, what he had done and what he had said was bugging me. For me, this began with a sense of emptiness. For others, it can begin with sickness or loss or sorrow. This is God coming to you first. For the first time, I, when I would read the Bible, I found that the Bible was reading me. I had read the Bible many times and it made no sense. Or it was just words. But this time, I opened the Bible, and even though I didn't understand it all, some things were popping off the page. And it was reading me. It was dealing with me. Now, if this has not been your experience and you're troubled by it, then maybe this is the beginning for you. Don't be troubled that you're being troubled by it. Be troubled if you haven't experienced this and you're not troubled by it. (laughs) Just as true as his choosing is our responding. The scriptures are clear with seek and you shall find. If you have never been troubled by Jesus, if you are not troubled by God's word, if it doesn't read you when you read it, then ask for that. Seek and you shall find. Ask and you shall be given. Knock and the door shall be open. Read the scriptures until they read you. Sister to sister is a safe place to do that and to be honest about it. Keep reading and ask for the Holy Spirit to bring about full conviction. Full conviction is the assurance, the confidence, an inward persuasion of the truth of our sin. Part of what the Bible was doing to me when I was opening it is I was seeing myself honestly, my sin, my imperfections, my lostness, my lack of peace. So full assurance is the inward persuasion of our sinfulness, but it is also the greater truth of his perfection and his sacrifice in our place. These two come crashing together with such force that they turn us around and they change everything. Ray Ortland Jr. puts it this way, the gospel becomes the sunlight through which we see all else. The good news of Jesus' life sacrificed for you and I becomes the sunlight through which we see all else. Ray Ortland Jr. uses a great example. He says there's a switch deep down inside of us, a light switch that is so down deep we can't flip it but God does. And when he flips it, a light goes on and we see everything differently. A moment comes, sometimes gradually, sometimes all at once, when the good news of Jesus is no longer just a message. It is an experience. There is a weight of forgiveness that you experience. There is a reality. We don't know how it happens, but we know it does. There is forgiveness where there has never been forgiveness. Either experiencing the forgiveness God has towards us or forgiving others that we've never been able to forgive. There is hope in suffering. There is joy in sorrow. There are new convictions, things you were doing that didn't bug you before, and now all of a sudden you feel guilt about it. And you confess it and you feel cleansed for the first time rather than running around with a bunch of guilt all the time. Your passions change. Who you care about changes. You can't see suffering the same way. These are all gifts of certainty. Though this is definitely a process, And sometimes in that process, we have eclipses of faith, seasons where we turn back to those idols, and we don't have this force as powerfully. Though it is definitely a process, Christianity is not an idea. It's not even just a moving idea. It is something miraculous. It is something sacred. And it produces a people who can face anything, even when they don't know it yet. There are things that you have said to God, I could never do it. Believe me, I said it. And that's the very thing that happened in my life. And I stand amazed at the miracle of faith. That God could give me joy and he could give me peace. in the very thing I thought for sure would destroy me. So you don't know it yet. But it produces, the work of faith produces in you an ability to face something that you never believed you would ever face. And I pray that releases some of you from fear right now. When the object of our faith is the living God, our faith is living. When the object of our faith is the living God, our faith becomes alive. Their faith, the Thessalonian faith, had gone forth everywhere. This means clap of thunder, loud cry of a multitude, a rumor that runs everywhere with great force. This is good gossip that spreads like wildfire. Paul thanks God for that work of faith that has come, for it now goes out. The Thessalonians were not just telling of the good news of Jesus. From their lives came news that is good. And like Paul, they gave of themselves. From the Thessalonians, what do we find first is the evidence that the good news has come? Miraculous faith and the second thing we see is muscular love. This miraculous faith gives birth to muscular love. Paul secondly thanks God for the Thessalonians labor of love. Thanking God, Paul is making it clear that this love is supernatural. It is empowered by God. It does not come from any place that is merely human. Listen to how God describes this in 1st John and 2nd Corinthians and Romans. We love because he first loved us. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness. Makes me think of that switch. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness. Has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. In the face of Jesus Christ. God's love has poured into our hearts. Through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Part of the reason we don't see anything ever the same is because the Holy Spirit has birthed a love inside of us. When God flips that switch, we are brought into a love that is supernatural. I never cried, believe it or not, until I became a Christian. And even then, it took a long time. There's a love that changes us. His Holy Spirit pours into us. It, this love is poured into us through the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead that's muscular love there's been a lot of talk about the holy spirit in recent years especially in america where we our lives sadly maybe are so easy that's why he's the forgotten god as francis chan book titles him my sister-in-law was telling me the other day about a ch- her church having a six-week series of messages on the Holy Spirit. And I was thinking about this in light of the Thessalonians. And I don't need mean to be critical, but I think they didn't need a six-week course on the Holy Spirit. They didn't need a book about the forgotten God. They were living in a time and a place in which if the Holy Spirit didn't pour love in their hearts, they would not survive. And they poured out a love in which if the Holy Spirit was not alive, they would have been doomed. And so I wonder if the Holy Spirit isn't alive to us because maybe we are not being asked to love in a way that is impossible. Or maybe we are being asked to love in a way that is impossible, but we are disobeying. Are we loving our enemies? Are we blessing our persecutors? You will find there is a love poured into you by the Holy Spirit that is far more muscular than you realize. This is the good news, and and it leads to news that is good. Paul, Silas, and Timothy were certain these Thessalonians were gods because the good news of God's love was going out from them, though it cost them everything. J.I. Packer, in his book Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God, a great book I recommend if you're struggling with that tension between God being all-powerful and us having responsibility. He says, Insofar as we really love our neighbor as ourselves, We shall of necessity want him to enjoy the salvation which is so precious to us, no matter the cost. And for us, it's usually just our reputation or feeling foolish. But what greater need has our neighbor? What greater labor of love is there than to give her the good news in word, trusting God for the power and the full conviction? See, the spiritual power and the conviction with which they received the gospel matched The Thessalonian giving of the gospel. Yes, God rules, but that does not take away our responsibility. We need to speak the gospel. That is God's design for how it is to go out. J.I. Packer again. So far as making evangelism pointless, the sovereignty of God in grace is the one thing that prevents evangelism from being pointless. For it creates the possibility, indeed the certainty that evangelism will be fruitful. Ladies, if I didn't believe that God does the saving, that God does the changing, that God transforms hearts, I would never get up here and teach. But that does not take away the responsibility we all have to teach one another. Paul in Ephesians brings this together so beautifully. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a, not a result of works that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Oh no, sovereignty should be a reason to give the gospel, not to keep it to ourselves. What greater love can we show Looking not inward, but looking outward, the Thessalonians made the gospel known. As a people who once looked to their idols for self-interest, arguing with those idols as to why their prayers, pleading with them that their prayers should be answered as they desired, they now, out of an experience of God's love, are empowered to love others over themselves. They had a divine work of god that actively created in them not just enthusiasm but action we're great at enthusiasm we're great at saying rah rah we're great at saying amen and then not following through all were imitating paul through macedonia not just the leaders we like to leave evangelism to the pastors and the teachers and and those who have that gift no Every one of the Thessalonians were imitating Paul throughout Macedonia and Achaia. Their love, like Paul's, had muscle. It was strenuous. It was exhausting. They gave not just the good news they gave themselves. And guess what they discovered? There is a muscle to the love of God that is beyond what they knew. Paul, thankfully, doesn't say how they gave of themselves to give the gospel. It could be in regards to caring for the poor, the sick, the stranger, the broken. It could have been loving their enemies. I'm glad he doesn't give us a list so that we can't say, Check, I do that. Oops, I don't do that. I better try that. I don't know how God is asking you to flex the muscle of love, to do something in love that only the Holy Spirit can empower you to do, but I know he's asking it of you. Because Christianity, the good news, leads to news that is good. It is a force of good in the world. That is part of how God brings people into his kingdom. We had an apologist here at Trinity, Ken Samples, who works for Reasons to Believe. And I believe he's on staff at Biola University as an apologist as well. And I got to listen to him this last week. And one of the things that he said that was so fascinating to me is he said, 30 years ago, skeptics of Christianity would ask the question, is it true? He said, today the question is, is it good? People want to know, is the good news good? Does the good news lead to news that is good? Muscle of love. Paul knew that this news that is good would bring suffering for them. Yet he thanked God, knowing suffering produced more good news, hope. As Paul wrote to the Romans, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us or put us to shame, because God's love has poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Oh, let that truth soak in. From the Thessalonians, what do we find is the evidence that the good news has come? What does it mean to be a Christian? Miraculous faith, muscular love, and a hope that is mighty. The might of hope when the good news comes, which fuels all the rest. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, again, thank God for the Thessalonians' work of faith, labor of love, and steadfast hope. And in this Thanksgiving, they are making it clear that there is no hope apart from God's great work for us. And in hope, in Christianity, hope is very different than the hope that we talk about on the streets. I hope this happens. I hope that doesn't happen. I hope, I hope, I hope. Hope in the word of God is not a vague expectation about a better future, but a solid confidence that Jesus is returning to judge evil in order to make all things new. Again, Hope is not a vague expectation about a better future, but a solid confidence that Jesus is returning to judge evil in order to make all things new. Restore paradise lost when sin entered the world. Tim Keller in his book Reasons for God says, the Bible declares that the God of love is also a God of judgment, who will put all things in the world to rights again. Ladies, we all sense we're being judged. We all sense we don't measure up. We've all had times when we have felt less than. Maybe you're feeling that way right now. We know we need a rescue. We know we need deliverance. That's why we love Cinderella. And believe me, your sense of feeling less than, your sense of being judged, your, your fear of being found out has nothing to do with things that your mom said to you when you were little or your dad did to you. It's part of the human condition. It's God's grace. Because you do need rescuing. You do need delivering. You don't measure up. That's what happened when sin entered the world. Scott Sauls in his book, Jesus Outside the Line, says, We experience fear of exposure. Because part of our human condition is to feel that we are on trial. And the truth is, we are on trial. And when that sense comes to you, that is God coming to you before you come to him. It's a gift of grace. Don't fight it. Don't anesthetize it. Don't get a bunch of philosophy to make you feel better. Go with it. Hear the bad news. The Jew might hear the good news. For God to not judge sin, he would cease to be love. For sin destroys those he loves. How can he not judge evil in this world? He is holy, he is just, and he is love. But to judge sin without destroying you and me, he sent his son. To take the punishment our sin deserves. And on that cross, that's what he did. So that we could receive the rescue, the deliverance we do not deserve. Romans 5.9, since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. When the good news comes, so does the assurance that trust in Jesus' first coming for the forgiveness of our sins delivers us from the wrath that is coming when he returns. Ladies, trust in his resurrection brings your own. That is the good news, and this news leads to good. Paul, Silas, and Timothy were certain that Thessalonians were gods because they had turned from all other rescues placing their hope in Jesus alone. They no longer look to anything else to deliver them. Because that's what happens when we know we don't measure up. That's what happens when we feel less than. We turn to things to deliver us. It may be food, it may be people, it may be pleasure. It may be a number of things, significance, power, all kinds of things. When we feel less than, we turn and serve whatever we think will deliver us. And Paul knew the, the gospel had come because they had turned from those things. And place their hope in the living God. Whatever our hope is in, that is what we will serve. When we see that Jesus took our wrath, that is when we serve, turn to serve and wait. And that is when we find freedom. Again, whatever we look to to rescue us, we will serve. anything It is anything that if we lost it, we would not want to go on. That there would be nothing left to wait for, to live for. And ladies, most of the time these are good things, but they've become ultimate things. And when a good thing becomes an ultimate thing, it will tyrannize you, it will mock you, it will be fickle. There is no appeasing, there is no pleading. Serving and waiting is in the present tense. It is an ongoing thing that changes us, and we are either waiting on something that is not God, serving it, changing us, and destroying us from the inside out, or we are waiting in the hope of Jesus' return to set all things right, therefore serving Him, and then that changes us into who we were always created to be. It frees us. If we don't continually look to Christ as our only hope, His return of setting things right our hope. His work in us right now of setting us free from ourselves, our hope. We will hope in other things. And when we hope in other things, we will serve those things. And when we serve those things, we will worry, we will be anxious, we will have anxiety, we will have fear. We will not be free. Jonah puts it so beautifully, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. It is because the Thessalonians continued to look to Jesus as their hope that they served the living God. Serving the living God, they experienced steadfast love, growing a mighty hope. See how it's circular? Circular. Serving the living God, they experienced his steadfast love, growing a mighty hope in their final rescue, which then gives birth to more serving which then gives birth to more hope, which then gives birth to more serving, which is our work of faith and our labor of love. Knowing their rescue is certain, so is their hope. The true and living God, and whom they have waited for, they now serve with joy. Certain they have everything they have, they have waited for, they can go on even in great loss. Continuing that great Romans 8 passage that I read to you earlier. If God is for us, who can be against us? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was raised. Who is at the right hand. Who indeed is interceding for us. I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? Amen. That is a rescue that begins now and will be fulfilled at his return. Ladies, heaven on earth is not a dream. It's been secured by Jesus' victory over sin and death. We can know how it will all end. We know how this will all end. Together, forever. To the extent our hope is placed in this good news of what God has done for us, from our life will come news that is good. Faith that is miraculous, love that is muscular, and hope that is awfully mighty. For this, will we, like Paul, give thanks and pray. I want us to take the next few minutes to do that. Close your eyes with me. First of all, will you take time now to thank God for the women around you whose life stories have impacted you because they have first been impacted by the gospel of Jesus? Women whose lives evidence the miracle of faith, the muscle of love, and the might of mighty of hope. Thank God for those women. Ask God how you might encourage her or him today. Now take a moment to pray for your sisters here with you today, the ones on your right and on your left, the ones that have been in your small group. Take a moment to pray for your sisters here today to continue turning, serving, and waiting, wherever they are in their own story. Knowing how easily we all turn back to other rescues, pray for her. Knowing how easily you turn back to your own other rescues. Will you admit your own need for the sisters near you? To further grasp what Jesus has done for you? To remind you of how this will all end? That we are together forever? Take a moment to admit your own, your own ease in which you turn back to other rescues. And I ask God for the courage to trust other sisters. Last, will you pray for those who may be in this room and in your life who have yet to respond to the good news. Pray that today would be the day of salvation. That is news that is infinitely good. Father, we give thanks to you for your Son, for his work of faith, for his labor of love, to give us a steadfast hope. It's in his name we pray. Amen.